0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about mission. And again, actually, to be honest, this last few weeks has been just another example of God working in us as leaders, and leading us by his spirit. You know, sometimes as believers, we can get into a place where we so want to control everything. We want to have everything worked out, put in our table, macroed in our Excel. We want to so control everything and strategize anything, everything, that we leave no room for God to step in and say, excuse me, but I want to deviate your your plans. I want to distress your program. Some of us get offended when God steps in and he wants to distress the program. Like, Lord, you can't be doing that. Amen. (laughs) God help you. And you know, the thing is, we live in a very rationalistic society here in the West where everything is kind of reasoned out and intellectualized. And we do have a danger of doing that in our relationship with God of just intellectualizing God, compartment, even down to just biblicism, and I'll talk about that more next week, where our perspective of scripture is the sum total of who God is. When we don't realize that our minds are finite. God doesn't operate outside of his word. Don't get nervous. I'm not trying to suggest that there's more to God than his word presents. God is absolutely, inconsist- he is absolutely consistent with his word in his nature and character and person. Amen. But the extent of the meaning, the extent of the application of God's word is supposed to run deep in our lives. And we serve an infinite God. And as we mind the truths of scripture, we are constantly receiving new waves of understanding from the scripture by the Holy Spirit, and then experience as we walk it out in our lives, causing us to know God differently. So, over these last few weeks, we've been talking about mission, and, you know, really it's just been orchestrated by the Lord, um, because we didn't strategize it, and, you know, we've we've often planned out teaching series and gone through it and so on and so forth, but it's really come about just by the the Lord's hand, and um, I've been really encouraged and um, today we're going to continue in that theme. But one of the first things I want to do is actually consider giving somewhat of a consolidation, a recap. Some of you teachers, I know that you know that's, you, you know how to do that, right? When it comes to starting a lesson, and you like you've, you've been going through and curriculum, and you're okay, let's consolidate what we've we've understood so far. And so um, I'm going to do that, and then we're going to look at our, our message for today. So let me pray, commit this time to the Lord, and um, give our attention to his word. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the living God. You're not a dead God. You're not made of wood and stone and metal, unable to speak, unable to hear, unable to respond. You are the living God at work in the lives of your people. And Lord, I thank you for your presence among us today. I thank you, Lord, that you are present in your word. You are present by your spirit. And as we open our hearts and mind to hear from you and allow you to speak to us, illuminating your word to our hearts and minds, applying it to us, Lord, personally, Lord, we trust that we will be changed. So help us, Lord, as we consider the matter of mission, as we consider your mandate to us as your people, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have ears to hear. We pray this, Lord, for your glory and for your name. And the people of God said, amen. 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 So, um, in our first week here, Pastor Rob kind of set things up by talking about the fact that we are on the brink of something great. And as we walk with God, we are always on the brink of something great. Following that, we had two weeks on multicultural mission. I just say that to abbreviate the long title. Multi ethnic, multinational, multicultural mission. And the consideration of pushing the gospel and making the gospel accessible to people broadly, widely, people that are not like us. And um, today we're going to consider mission from the point of view of spreading the, the, the lordship of Christ. Not just broadly as we've spoken about, but deeply. Now, um, one of the pastors down in Roehampton, Duncan Forbes, for those who don't know him, um, runs a a ministry training course called the Urban Ministry Program. And we've been spending time looking at the issue of mission. And I want to share with you an abbreviated summary of the mission of the church. I want to share with you an abbreviated summary of the mission of the church. It um, says, can you hit that light switch closest to the door? Thank you. <clears throat> Mission. Displaying the glory of God as the church serve and protect the body while spreading the lordship of Christ broadly and deeply. Mission. Displaying the glory of God as the church serve and protect the body while spreading the lordship of Christ Broadly and deeply. Now, everything that we've been talking about over these last few weeks is basically unpacking that. Now, you may ask, where do we get that from? You can't talk about mission without talking about the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28 18 to 20. And so often, um, even myself included, um, we're guilty of missing out verse 18 to the end of the age. Verses we're familiar with. But in this, we understand that this is the purpose. Um, this, is, this is the mandate, let me say, for the church. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. <clears throat> what is the chief end of man? Praise God. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And yet the mandate for the church, the mission of the church, is summarized here. And so as I go back to our summary, mission, displaying the glory of God. Well, we are the church and our purpose is to glorify God in all that we do. And that is to display his image, to present his image in our lives as we grow toward Christ likeness. As the church serve and protect the body. And so you remember that I gave the analogy of the LAPD's um, slogan, protect and serve. And then we look briefly at scripture and how we see this theme through the scriptures. That the church, as part of our call to mission, is is to serve the body and protect the body. And to do so is to help avoid the vulnerability and weakness of having no defense as we push out in attack. Because you know the work of mission is warfare, right? Where we're going out into the enemy's territory. And so as we press out, we don't want to leave our base. We don't want to leave ourselves vulnerable to attack, counterattack from the enemy. And so there's a necessity For us to serve and protect. It's interesting. I was excited as I was considering the, the Great Commission as to how we see this expressed in the Great Commission. So right at the end there, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an expression of Christ's commitment to serve and protect the church. When we see the Lord say, I am with you always, what does that mean to you? To know that Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, is with you. What does that mean to you? It means that you're going to be provided for. He has no lack. He's with us. He's with you. He's, he's going to help us in our needs, right? Amen. But it also means that we're going to be protected. Protected. So, Jesus is with us. Amen. Who can trouble us if God be for us? It's like Pastor Rob said, any man want I try is just dream them a dream. <laughs> can nobody touch his routine. <laughs> yeah. When the Lord is with us, we are provided for, he serves us, he meets our needs, and yet we are protected. <clears throat> I was just like, Lord, you're a genius. The way that this is so... Clearly entwined in God's mandate. And so in view of that, we are to then go and do likewise. To be like Christ and to serve and protect the body as we go about the mandate of mission. We clearly see the lordship of Christ stated in verse 18. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, there was a point in my walk um, in recent years where, you know, people use the term and the penny dropped or the light bulb went on. When I considered the work of mission, uh, when I considered evangelism and the goal, I came to a, a real shift in my understanding because initially my understanding was we want to go out and um, encourage people to accept Jesus as Lord. And there was truth in that. But there was an underlying sense that, well, Jesus wasn't Lord until they accepted him. But the reality is that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord over all, or he's not Lord at all. How can somebody be in a company and say, I'm the boss, but there's people that work there that are not under his authority? He's not the boss then. If he's the boss, he has authority, or she, over everyone in that company. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And so, I came to an appreciation, a greater appreciation for the Lordship of Christ. Jesus is Lord people will submit to that or they will resist that. We go and declare the Lordship of Christ and people's response ought to be one of submission. I bow the knee Amen. to Christ the Lord because every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen sooner or later. Either now Freely or under duress. And so Jesus is Lord. And as we go about the work of mission, we are spreading the Lordship of Christ. God made everyone. There is no one of any culture, any background, any nation, any lifestyle, any particular persuasion that is exempt from God's authority over their life. And sometimes we look at people as if, well, you know, you can kind of have your freedom to live how you like, but maybe you want to consider God. Actually, no. God commands, Acts 17 tells us, God commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere to repent. He commands it and he has the right to command it because he made everyone. The Lordship of Christ is to be spread broadly. So, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so we see two imperatives there. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go from where you are. Go to others. Others of all nations. And so as we're here in Lewisham and we consider spreading the Lordship of Christ, we think about our immediate community, uh, our Jerusalem as it were, and we say, Lord, help us to go out into this community, to every corner and every crevice of the community, and spread your Lordship, even to those people who are not like us, and then beyond. Amen? Amen? The Lordship of Christ is to be spread broadly, but... As we turn our attention today, it's also to be spread deeply. It's also to be spread deeply. Make disciples. This isn't just a a casual sign up. Um, Okay, I've cast my vote for Jesus. Now I'm going to go about and live life however I like. Um, I've, I've signed on the dotted line. I've got my insurance policy it um, out, um, I'm avoiding the flames, now I'm just going to go off and live however I like. No, it's to become a disciple, a disciplined follower of Christ. So that, res- that, that um, conveys a sense of depth, of Christ beginning to plumb down into a person's heart and take ownership and take effect to the point where they are becoming increasingly like him. Baptizing them, the act of baptism Is the public initiation into the invisible body of Christ. Sorry, the visible body of Christ. So somebody may be spiritually a Christian. They've been regenerated. They've been born again. But do they identify with the people of God? Do they recognize themselves as part of God's family and committed to a local expression of that? Baptism... Signifies this. And it is a mark of the Lordship of Christ. Plunging deeply into a person's heart and life. And taking effect. Have you been baptized? If not, why not? It's not negotiable. It's not an optional extra to the Christian life. If you say that Jesus is Lord of your life. He is your saviour your ruler, your master, your king, then you ought to be baptized. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching is not something that happens in an instant. Sometimes we wish the Christian life was like Matrix, right? When we could just sit down in the, 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 in the hot seat of God and just get jacked in and get downloaded with the revelation of God and then boom, we're ready to go. It's not that though. It's a day by day walking with the Lord. It's a day by day submitting of our hearts. And so teaching is supposed to happen corporately as we see explained in the epistles, but also privately, personal and organisational. And it's based on what Jesus has commanded. Jesus is the head of the church. And anyone who is in the body of Christ, who is a part of the church, who confesses to be one of his, will be an individual who says, Lord, teach me your ways. That I might walk after you. Amen? And so there's deeply... So, mission, displaying the glory of God as the church, serve and protect the body while spreading the lordship of Christ broadly and deeply. Now, where are you at as far as deepening your relationship with the Lord? Where are you at in terms of deepening your relationship with the Lord? Do you feel like, as a Christian, you are growing, that you are changing, that you are becoming more like Jesus? Or do you feel as though you've kind of basically plateaued, as they say? So you get mountain climbers climbing up the face of the rock and they've got a little ridge that they can kind of rest on, a little plateau, and they get there and they rest and they haven't reached the top yet. Some might wish that it was the top, feel like they don't have the strength to go any further, but they realize that there is yet further still to go. And do you feel like, you know what, you're not like Christ yet, but you don't really seem to be moving. You seem to be on this ledge, on this plateau, wherever that might be, up the mountain. Do you feel stuck in that place? You may have been a Christian for several years. God may have even helped progress you throughout your walk. And you've had a sense of journeying with him and growing and changing and being challenged up to a point. Now the reality is that all of us experience that in our Christian lives at certain times. And it doesn't matter how long. You've been a Christian. Very often, we have the mentality where we kind of define Christian maturity by years. How long you been a Christian? Whoa, wow, man. 15 years, 20 years. Oh, my gosh. But the Japanese have this saying when it comes to evaluating experience. It's not how long, but how deep. You thought I was going to say it in Japanese, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) not my portion. (laughs) It's not my (laughs) gifting. It's not how long, but how deep. So they'll look at somebody in the workplace and say, okay, how long have you worked here? Oh, I've been working here for 25 years. Hmm, sounds impressive. What have you been doing for 25 years? (laughs) That's the real proof of the pudding, right? Still in the job that you started in. Well, you're still here. You get ratings for that. (laughs) But 25 years, yeah? Still in the same post. Hmm, okay. And you see, unlike the workplace, growth and progression in the Christian life is expected. It's mandated. If somebody wants to go and work in in a job for 25 years in the same post, there's nothing wrong with that. If they're happy to do that and it provides for their needs, Fine. There's nothing wrong with that. My wife is a receptionist, and she enjoys working at reception. And she's offered opportunity for progression, and she kind of um, turns up her nose at it. Because she likes the very simple life. <laughs> she don't want work to dictate and dominate her and stress her out. And she's happy. But the Christian life isn't like that. We can't reach a place of comfort and feel as though, well that's far enough, I'm quite happy with this. God doesn't allow that. And so where are you at? How deep is your love? <laughs> I couldn't get it out of my head, I had to say it, so I had to say it. <coughs> really? And so, one of the things that will help us to appreciate how to progress is understanding that basic formula that we see in Romans 12. The formula is information plus application equals transformation. Mm -hmm. Romans 12 verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by... For many of us, it's a memory verse, right? We know this, but we don't live this. We know this, but we don't live this because when we look at our lives, actually, it's very conformed to the world. And so there's a problem somewhere. And that problem may be in the place of information, as we'll look at today in brief. Or that problem may be in the place of application. So information... Well, maybe we're not actually giving ourselves to understanding the Word of God. Maybe we're not giving ourselves to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And therefore, we're not putting much in by way of godly information. And yet we're trying to walk the walk and live the life. Resulting in minimal transformation. We're not going to grow in Christ... If we're not growing in the knowledge of the truth. For some of us, it's the other way around. Heads fat. Knowledge is bursting forth. Every pore. But when it comes to applying it, we're not applying it to our lives. We're just content to know. Yeah, you know. In the book of Genesis, when we see Adam in the garden of Eden, it's a picture of the temple. and Yeah, and... We can give you biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation. But when it comes to our character, when it comes to our walk, when it comes to how we're living, when it comes to how we're representing, there's a laziness there. And again, we see a lack of transformation. Now, if transformation is the goal, where is... To what extent are we to be transformed? Where are we trying to get to? If, if trans, like, How will we know when we've arrived? I'm, I'm throwing that one out there. Just want to keep you awake. Everyone's turned shy all of a sudden. When we have glorified bodies. So... Information plus application ultimately will result in a glorified body. Well, we will get a glorified body, but that's not going to be how we get it. We will get a glorified body, but in the meantime, we are to glorify God to the uttermost. Christ is the express image. The express image, Hebrews 1 tells us, of God. And so therefore, our goal ultimately is to be Christ-like. And we're going to look at something in Galatians in a minute that's going to help us. But our goal ultimately is to be Christ-like. A few years back, that trend started, WWJD. And it kind of caught on quite widely. People probably know what that stands for, WWJD. What would Jesus do? They had the wristbands. Whoever invented the idea had made money. Wristbands, T-shirts, everything. And the idea was, in any situation, in any given circumstances, what would Jesus do? And praise be to God, there was a a healthy um, consideration and a healthy constant reminder of the need for us to be like Christ. What it tended to lack was an understanding of what Christ is really like. So on the information side, people were just saying, what would Jesus do? The Jesus in my head that I think Jesus is like. (laughs) So, what are you lacking in your walk at present? So you've, you've you've plateaued. You've hit a rut, and you feel like you're not moving forward. Consider the equation, and consider what it is that you may be lacking. Um, the reality is that. Like the Galatians, we experience challenges in our walk. Those challenges can come from within and our own um, unrenewed aspects of our lives, of our hearts. Those aspects that haven't been submitted to the word of the Lord those aspects that are still conformed to this world because we're not being renewing our mind. We experience those challenges. Sometimes the challenges come from without. They come from outside of us, temptations, trials. We experience challenges. And as Paul wrote to the Galatians who were experiencing the challenge of the Judaizers, so we see and it kind of relates to our Acts 15 consideration, that there were these individuals who professed to be Christians and yet were wanting the Christians to live like Jews and to follow the law of Moses, even though that was, that was not any longer necessary because Christ has fulfilled the law on behalf of his people. And so his righteousness is credited to us, to our account. And therefore, We no longer need to try and attain that righteousness in order to be right before God. But the Judaizers were putting the pressure on the Galatians and other Christians, other Gentile Christians, to take on and adopt the law of Moses. And as Paul begins to speak to them, he says, look, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you're a believer in the building today, Jesus is Lord of your life. This reality is true for you in a spiritual sense. If you've recognized your guilt before God, confessed your sin, having repented and put your faith in Jesus, trusting that his death on your behalf satisfied the justice of God and his resurrection justified and validated your righteousness, your right standing with God, then this is true for you in a spiritual sense. This is true for us. This is our spiritual reality. The challenge is it becoming a practical reality in our lives. Because how many of us can really say when we look at our own lives honestly, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. How many of us can honestly say that each day we are walking in Christ-likeness by faith? No, for some of us if not for all of us, we would say, well, I have been wounded by Christ as opposed to crucified. And it is is now longer I who live, although Christ also lives in me. This is very absolute. It is no longer I who live. And when we get a revelation of what it means to be crucified with Christ, to be dead. uh, I don't have time. We'll come back to that. Then for us, the life that we now live in the flesh will be a life of faith in the son of God. Knowing that he loves you. He gave himself for you. And that is the basis of, that is what we respond to. We respond to the fact that Jesus loves us and has given himself for us who believe. And so as we surrender our lives to grow in Christ's likeness, we do so gladly as we reckon ourselves crucified with Christ as it tells us in Romans. Each day, consciously, const- And determinedly recognizing I have been crucified with Christ. We will see the life of Christ then manifest in us. And so it's not a matter of striving. For many, the idea is, well, I've got to really try hard to be like Jesus. But... The reality is the opposite. It's not that we have to really try hard to be like Jesus. The reality is that we just need to surrender, not strive. Surrender to his work in us. Surrender to what he has accomplished through the cross. Surrender to the presence and power of his spirit. And as we surrender by taking in the word, saying, yes, Lord, amen, as it is written, so let it be. And just giving ourselves to it, we don't have to try and be creative. We don't have to be trying ingenious, try and be ingenious in the way, how am I gonna be like Jesus? Well, I'll work it out. Um, I can just be like Jesus like this in this situation and we just have to follow the word. And so there's a necessity for us to take in the word of God To grow deeply in the word of God. Um, With the goal. As Paul goes on to mention in Galatians. The goal of transformation. So Paul says this to the Galatians. Who were being battered by this false teaching. This false doctrine. And who were. Gravitating toward practicing the laws of Moses, he says to them, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. And Paul, I mean, I don't know what Paul knows about childbirth, right? Because he's a guy, apart from what he's observed. Ladies, you'll be able to kind of relate to this. From what I understand, childbirth is a painful process. (laughs) I have to say it like that because I don't know, do I? I got two daughters, I was there at their birth, and I know it was a painful process for my wife. Being committed to your growth, being committed to being deepened in relationship with Christ and more fully formed into Christ-likeness is going to be a painful process. It's not going to be a walk in the park. Paul, as a leader, felt that as he prayed earnestly and and desired earnestly and invested earnestly in the people of Galatia. And yet we should have that same commitment to ourselves. It would be a crime if Paul had such pain and anguish and, and, and commitment to the Galatians and they didn't even have that for themselves. Some of us, we just want that kind of spoon-feed Christianity. I just go along to church, spoon-feed me the message. That I weren't really feeling the word today, you know. And go off. We're not in our Bibles. We're not listening to sermons. We're not in fellowship. We're not iron sharpening iron with the word of God. We just think that actually, we're going to be just spoon-fed some wonder grow. but we have to appreciate that our growth, our deepening in Christ, his lordship being deepened in our lives is a painful process. Are you committed to that? Are you committed to that process? Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we have... We have a a practice of teaching through the scriptures. Um, In recent times, we've been through um, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jonah. Um, And I know when I first encountered verse by verse, chapter by chapter teaching of the word, it changed my life. I didn't know that people actually approached the Bible like that. I'd never heard of that before. I'd I'd always been in church for years and desired to to actually have a better understanding of the scriptures. Because I knew that the scriptures were the word of life. I knew that the scriptures was was God's will. It was his representation of himself. And yet I felt like I struggled constantly in, in growing in an understanding of the scriptures. And it was only after I became exposed to expositional teaching that... I was able to understand, well, this is what I've been missing. In my mind, I was like, well, maybe I just need to go to Bible college where I can get taken through the scriptures. It was a transforming experience. And so here and at other churches, you will see people take you through the scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and go through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the whole canon, Genesis to Revelation, and you're going through the word. And yet one of the things that we've come to understand as leaders is that actually that is great, that is tremendous, but it is not the sum total of how to meet the need for people's knowledge of the truth. Now, we could be proudful and say, well, this is how Calvary Chapel do it, and this is how um, real expositors do it, and this is sufficient because we're going through the Word of God. But actually, there is another approach that needs to complement that, because as you can see looking at the very crude diagram on the screen, if you were to have all of the books listed, which I weren't trying to do, it wouldn't make no sense, you can have gaps Between the books. You can have gaps where actually the books don't connect to one another. And where they don't connect to one another, there is an understanding of God that's being missed. There's gaps in our understanding. And so there's a necessity not just to go through the books of the Bible but also to drill down through the canon of Scripture. Not just to go through the books of the Bible, but to drill down through the canon of Scripture so that we can see what the whole of Scripture says about particular issues or themes. So if I was to ask you, okay, you know what? The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is not the Son of God. How would you respond to that from Scripture? You're not going to just go to one place in the Bible and try and end that argument. There is no one place in the Bible by itself that will conclusively end the argument. Although you have very strong assertions in certain places. But when you take the total package of Scripture and consider what Scripture says... You're then much better able to respond to such views. And so, in order to achieve that, there's a necessity to go through the scripture considering certain themes. So, I put a few examples up there because, you know, they're ones that people can struggle with the Trinity. Is the, the actual understanding of the Trinity found in the Old Testament? People say, oh, the Trinity, that word is not used in Scripture. Okay. But does that mean that the concept, that the principle, that the reality of what that word means or represents is not found in Scripture? Scripture speaks about the Godhead. Do we see that understood? Could you sit me down as a new disciple if I were one and help me to understand from Genesis to Revelation about the Godhead, the triunity of God? One God in three persons? How about the deity of Christ? How about justification And we could add a multitude of other issues and topics. And our inability to respond confidently to that says that we have a need for deeper teaching. Amen? Amen. We have a need for deepening our understanding of Christ, getting to know God more intimately. Because this isn't just an exercise in knowledge. It's about knowing the person of God in order that we might make him known. Amen. So, there's a need for us to go deeper. And that includes the need for us to Deepen deepen our understanding of God. Deepen our knowledge of Christ. And that's not the sum total of what it means to be deep. We say that, right? Oh, you know, I tell you, you speak to, have you ever ever listened to, to Johnny Mac, to John MacArthur? That bread is deep, you know. Well, in one sense he might be, but do you know how he's living? Next week we're going to talk about the application side and practically what that looks like for us in terms of deepening our relationship with the Lord. And more specifically, my aim is going to be to identify certain key areas of hazard that can cause us to think that we are growing or deepening when really we're not. More on that next week. Don't want to miss it. (laughs) But what I would say is this. The goal is that it is no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. There is a necessity for information the information of God's word, the information of the gospel to penetrate our hearts as we give ourselves to it in such a way that it contributes to our transformation. And so I I ask you to consider for a moment, how are you reflecting on where you're at and seeking to respond to God as you recognize your need for deepening your understanding of God's word in in Isaiah 1 when God called the people of Israel to repent he said come let us reason together though your sins were like scarlet i'll make them as white as snow he goes on to say if you are willing and obedient you will eat the fat of the land. Nothing's going to change in your life if you're not willing. Nothing's going to change in your life if you're just going to pay lip service to God. Show up, show off, and blow out. We can do that. We know how to play the game. But if we're willing, if we're willing to commit ourselves... And we as a leadership recognize that, look, we need to do more. One one commitment to that is the urban catechism. Our desire and intent is that everyone in the church goes through the urban catechism. Because it will, in a very practical and a very personal way, help strengthen us in relation to issues such as these and a multitude of others. In a very simple way and yet effective way. So that's one thing that we're committing ourselves to and we're saying, are you willing? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be anguish and pain. That's the childbirth of formation. But there are great blessings that await us as we give ourselves to it. Amen? There will be other ways in which our commitment to this is expressed and worked out. As I say, these are things that as leaders, we're learning. And as we're learning, we're passing on. And we're, we're processing in such a way that we can now say, okay, we understand these principles of truth. How can we better equip our people? And so there will be changes in our culture as a church for the greater glory of God. So don't get nervous when change is happening. I'm I'm a person who, you know, I like things how they're meant to be, if anyone knows me. I like things how they're meant to be. And when things aren't how they're meant to be, I'm easily knocked. I'm, I'm easily upset. And I've had to submit that to the Lord because that suggests I'm a bit of a control freak. confession is good for the soul right but I know I'm not alone (laughs) and so as they say let's let go and let God have his way amen let's pray Lord, we do thank you so much. You know, we look at Paul in Galatians 4.19, speaking of his anguish, speaking of his, just the depth of his pain and his commitment, his tenacious and relentless pursuit of change in the life of the Galatians. And we know that by your spirit, you are speaking to us. We know that that is an expression of your heart toward us. Amen. That we not be bewitched as the Galatians were. That we wouldn't be hindered any longer to run. But that, Lord, we would seek your face. That, Lord, we would give ourselves to you. Give ourselves to deepening our relationship with you by means of your word help us Lord to surrender help us to let go of our white knuckle grip on those areas of our life that you want to change Lord help us to submit to your Lordship in order that you might have your way